Morning, Glory America. It's Hugh Hewitt. It's a great day to be in Sacramento, though I heard a very disturbing story last night, which I will uh, have to tell you about. I have to confirm the details before I do it about. Uh, uh, well, I'll talk about it with with Matt Spaulding. Dr. Max Spaulding as the president of the Kirby Center or the director of the Kirby Center, which is the Hillsdale College lantern on Capitol Hill. It is the flame of reason, the the tower of of illumination that oversees the Capitol that Matt Spaulding runs so well. Dr. Larry Arn is usually here. Matt Spaulding or one of the fine members of the faculty of Hillsdale College fills in from each week on the Hillsdale Dialogue. Dr. Spaulding, welcome back. Good to talk to you. Why aren't you on Twitter? Uh, good to be with you, Hugh. Um, uh, never been inclined to do, to, to, to do Twitter. That's, uh, you know, making principal arguments in 16 words, where it is, doesn't quite fit our way of thinking about things. Well, I, you know, it, it doesn't, but it allows people to alert folks. I just alerted them to this story, and this is a very far afield we're going to go, but I just want to get your reaction. You know, there's a growing intellectual intolerance of America. Uh, right. Would you agree with me on that? Absolutely, especially and on, on uh, among what, elites, generally on the campus in particular. Yeah, what, one of the probably thought leaders in America for Roman Catholics generally, and I think uh, people of faith generally, is Archbishop Charles Chaput of Philadelphia. Right. He's he's also a member of the Synod Council, which means he's one of the most 15 important Catholics in the world. I mean, there's the Pope, there's the Cardinals that make up his cabinet, and the Cardinals elect the next Pope. But in between, in terms of doctrinal matters, the 15 uh, bishops and Cardinals on the Synod Council are the big guys, and Chaput's one of them. And I'm in Sacramento, and I I learned yesterday that that a local high school Jesuit high school principal participated in blocking Archbishop Chaput from coming to Sacramento. Can you believe that? Amazing, amazing. I mean, what this reminds us, I mean, look, we know we're in a massive battle, not only the political battle before us, which I think is extremely important, and one of the reasons why it's so divisive is we're engaged in a very serious battle here. But underneath that, in the long term, and one of the reasons why we want to oppose this massive state and have it back off is because of what's happening within our our culture. I mean, the the, the state, the expansion of the state, its regulations, its political correctness enforced through its rules and regulations uh, is stultifying for that culture. But underneath that, over time, there's a a corrosiveness going on uh, that I think the the modern state feeds, which creates a deep intolerance uh, that now is, I think, growing more because there's this perception, I think, correctly, that uh, the modern state is either on their side in most cases, or it increasingly looks like the the opposition uh, can't do anything to, to stop it. Uh, the other well, freed up in a way to actually pursue these goals and become increasingly intolerant. That's it. it totalitarian. The, the definition of intolerant is totalitarian. I, I had this big dust up this week with PolitiFact, uh, which I view as an engine of the left and designed to truncate and cut off argument by declaring things false, which are not false. I declared on Meet the Press that Obamacare is in a death spiral, and they fact-checked me as false and pretended to reach out to me, and I just clobbered them all week, and that's because they're totalitarian, not because I don't care if they think I'm wrong. That's an opinion. They're, they're entitled to it. But the the idea that they can declare off-limits a statement so obviously manifestly reasonable as Obamacare is in a death spiral or that, and again, I haven't confirmed this yet. I have to get the details. 
that a Jesuit would lead or participate in an effort to keep an archbishop out of a of a diocese where he's not the archbishop, that that is a danger to free speech. It's just a complete uh, well, shutdown. Well, and I assume they're they're they don't want him to come there because he actually believes there's such things as moral truth. Um, now the flip side, of course, we know has been going on for some time, which is say that leading Catholic institutions invite major public figures that themselves are deeply hostile and opposed to teachings of their own church. Yeah. So this is really the other side of the coin, which is that much more dangerous when you're shutting down uh, the, the, the speech of those who you know, should be agreeable. You're not even allowing that. Uh, is 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 extremely problematic. I don't know if the Archbishop's been to Hillsdale College or Kirby, but the reason he upsets the left so much is because, number one, he's a Native American. He's the first ever Native American right. bishop. And number two, he's giantly gifted intellectually. But he is a challenge to conservatives as well because he's really quite uh, pro-immigration rights and the regularization and citizenship for immigrants. And so he's got a social gospel. Out. So he confuses the heck out of everybody. But I, I, I take it away from him for a moment. Charles Murray at um, Middlebury. Middlebury, right. Uh, or Jonah Goldberg at any number of colleges or Guy Benson at any number of colleges. I don't know how we reclaim the idea that you can have a full. Last night, did you happen to watch CNN when Jack Kingston was on last night? No, huh? <laughs> Okay, Anderson Cooper show, six guests. So they do the Anderson Cooper on the left with six guests. Jack Kingston, former congressman, smart guy. Five other, including my friend Gloria Borger, uh, who I respect. Ryan Lizza, who I respect. uh, uh, Jeffrey Tubin, who I respect. They just basically hooted at and laughed at Jack Kingston throughout his entire effort to defend Devin Nunes, uh, who may not be defensible, but, I mean, it was a shout-down. I mean, uh, look, I think what all these things point to, first of all, there there are underlying factors going on here that have been afoot for some time. This is a move, these intellectual moves in our culture we've been observing for decades. Um, I think what's happened now is uh, the the, the fight, and the left is pursuing the fight, has gotten to a point where uh, there are potentially some serious threats uh, to what what they're about. whether we're thinking around the campus or or in politics, and and the, and the left has made a decision that, uh, for all intents and purposes, we are not. This is this is all out war at all levels at all times, uh, and so any conversation about any reasonableness of any of these proposals, uh, setting aside whether we completely agree with them 100 percent at this point, but just that conversation uh, must itself be stopped, and it and it really points to, and really shows the cards of the left as the extent to which it's increasingly intolerant, and it's, in, it, it, it's willing, as it did in the previous administration and it does, as it does through college administrations on most campuses, it's willing to use its authority um, uh, to enforce that intolerance uh, more and more. And now that some of that authority is in question, they're, 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 they're kind of lashing out, if you will, in, in uh, making their – their arguments, both this this uh, this interview you mentioned last night, but but also on campus, how they're reacting to, I mean, people like Charles Murray, who has different opinions than they do, but is one of the most reasonable and soft-spoken um, uh, commentators you could possibly imagine. He's, he's not threatening at all. Um, and so in I, case, I, I, I think, think it was the answer the to this the is college that is one that was you know who doesn't agree with him. She's the one who actually got injured by one of right. the protesters. 
Right. I think the answer is, in Solzhenitsyn's memoir, The uh, the Oak and the Calf, he says, what if it's all paper mache? What if you can stick a, a stick through it? Referring to the Soviet Union, it turned out to be paper mache. It fell apart right. in the rain. We, I, I, The intellectual bullying of the left is really paper mache. If people just show up, because they look bad, and it increasingly... I think is obvious to America that the playing field isn't even remotely level and the left has to set it up that way. That they have no arguments, Matt Spaulding. They have nothing left. It's all been tried and it's all failed. And Obamacare is in a death spiral, for example, and they can't blame anybody but themselves. No, that's right. That's why it's that's why this is such an, a monumental opening uh, in terms of the political conversation. Look, what. For for whether one agrees with everything or likes everything about him, what you know Donald Trump did in his campaign and represents writ large is a, is an increasing. Um, uh, he, he wouldn't put up with this kind of stuff, shall we say, right? This political correctness, this um, this kind of liberalism run amok, and he broke broke through that. But what we need to do now is figure out whether it's. Uh, uh, through, the, through the legislation they're currently debating, or, or what is, we got to figure out somehow to follow up on this. Because I think you're absolutely right. This is, well, but what's the thing? In, in, in thinking of souls and eats in here, what, what's the thing that breaks through and makes that clear? The problem is that a lot of Americans who don't like any of this, who, who object to this, have been taught for years, for decades, that they're the ones who are intolerant and they must put up with all this. Uh, and when they, we come they, back they, from break, we're going to talk how to go and what to do about it. What to do about it. I want to talk about the health care bill when we come back, because what we do not want to do about it is freeze ourselves into irrelevance. And the Freedom Caucus, I'm now calling them Matt. There's a sub caucus within it, the Area 51 sub caucus that believes in legislative flying saucers. And and I, the, 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 the perfect became the enemy of the good last week. And I want to talk with Matt Spaulding, director of the Kirby Center. Hillsdale's Lantern of Reason. Hillsdale's the Lantern of the North. The Kirby Center is the Lantern of the Potomac. We'll be back to talk to its executive director, Matt Spaulding, in a moment. Don't go anywhere, America. It's the Hillsdale Dialogue. All things Hillsdale are available at hillsdale.edu. Sign up for Imprimus. In every one of these conversations dating back to 2013, available at hugh4hillsdale.com. Stay tuned. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. It's the Hillsdale Dialogue, the last radio hour of the week. And each week at this time, I talk with either Dr. Larry Aron, the president of Hillsdale College, hillsdale.edu, or one of his colleagues, in this case, Dr. Matthew Spaulding, the director of the Kirby Center in Washington, D.C., which if you are in Washington, D.C. and want a, a, a center of intellectual renaissance and terrific ideas and a great, great, good impact on everyone on the Hill. Matt Spaulding's operation, the Kirby Center, is amazing. Uh, Matt, let's go back to the health care bill before we get too far afield and go to the filibuster. It fell apart last week because half of the Freedom Caucus, uh, the right edge, combined with the left edge of the Republican Party, the centrists and the liberals, to uh, deny Paul Ryan and the party the overwhelming majority of the party, the opportunity to push it through. I am dispirited by this because I don't think we're going to get anything through. I just don't uh, because of the inability of the Freedom Caucus to recognize that the perfect must not be the enemy of the good. What do you think? Well, look, I think that uh, back up for one second, I think you're generally you're right. This shows a divided caucus. 
Um, but beyond that, I think it also grows out of a, a massive weakness of Congress and especially the House as an institution. Uh, and Republicans, as of yet, have not quite figured out how to legislate. They've, they've not relearned that process in general. Um, after years of, of dysfunction uh, and uh, inability to kind of flex those muscles, um, Congress, it strikes me, this, this reveals that uh, you know, Congress and the House is actually extremely weak. Uh, I fear that the speakership is, is too weak to get something through, which means the House is not carrying out its constitutional duty to actually legislate. Now, the particulars of how that's playing out, you're right. There are, some, uh, there, there are numerous factions now within the Republican Party. Um, this reminds me of, of the factions in the 19th century within the Republicans who were preventing legislation to deal with the slavery question, right? You have abolitionists who wouldn't do anything unless it were absolutely perfect. Um, but the fact of the matter is you needed you know, the Henry Clays of the world and eventually the Abraham Lincolns uh, who could see a way to thread this through uh, in a way that still served the ultimate objective, namely getting rid of slavery but also saving the Union um, that, re that required some compromises, uh, some which were pretty hard to swallow, but some of them bought some time, put it off, and, and, and led to, to, to larger solutions. And we need to, you know, somebody's got to figure this out, but then have the, the ability, uh, the strength as speaker, right? The speaker is a constitutional officer. His job is to put together a majority. But he's got to make him worry about why this particular majority or this particular piece of legislation goes towards our goal. So I, I guess my short answer, the way I read it, is that, yes, there are some, some uh, factions around the edges who are preventing this from going forward. But having said that, I, I worry about how the majority is, is generally operating under, uh, and, and how, and I, 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 as much as I strongly support and, and, and you know, Speaker Ryan is a friend. I think he's the best guy up there. Um, I, I, I worry about the 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 um, he he needs to be in a stronger position so they can craft legislation, get it through, but also start explaining better because he knows this why this piece of legislation and the things that like this are moving towards the objective. The, the, the now, this is a question of prudence, right Matt. In their heart, but they need to be. It, someone's got to tell them why this gets them there. It's a question of prudence. I think he is the most skilled member of the caucus. He's got a great leadership team with right. Kevin McCarthy, Scalise, Kathy McMorris, Rogers, and others, Pete Sessions. I think they have to punish people. And in politics, you have to be prudent about this. But if you do have a recalcitrant part of your caucus that will not reason together, and, and they're on left and right, they ought not. There's a leadership council of 12 that doles out the benefits. And the chairman of the Appropriations Committee, a liberal, a liberal whose name I can't remember, it's a very long liberal name, um, voted against the bill. I don't think you should be the chairman of the Appropriations Committee uh, when you call a party vote. This isn't a parliamentarian system, but there's sometimes it's not a free vote. 20 seconds, you agree with me? Yeah, you need a strong speakership to get things done, and sometimes you got to do some things like that. Absolutely. Yep. Get, get the bat out. I'll be right back with Matt Spaulding from the Kirby Center. It's the Hugh Hewitt Show from Sacramento. Stay tuned. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt joined on this The Hillsdale Dialogue by Dr. Matthew Spaulding, the director of Hillsdale's Kirby Center in Washington, D.C., 
the Lantern of Reason on Capitol Hill. All things Hillsdale are available at hillsdale.edu for their free online constitution courses. They have many extraordinary courses that are for free. Uh, you can also sign up for their speech digest, absolutely free, in Primus. Uh, you get in your mail, old-fashioned way, something to read and touch and think about and wonderfully delivered and constructed. And all of these dialogues, if you're a podcast person, all of them, there are now more than 300 of them, available at HughForHillsdale.com. They usually involve the great works of the West and the, the great thinkers and, and uh, fiction and nonfiction works that are patiently explicated for you by Dr. Ron and his colleagues at Hillsdale, including Dr. Spaulding. But today we talk politics because we're coming to a momentous week for the Constitution. Judge Neil Gorsuch will be voted out of the Judiciary Committee on Monday, April the 3rd. That is happening. Uh, He has 52 solid Republican votes to be confirmed, and two Democrats will support him, Joe Manchin and Heidi Heitkamp. So he will be confirmed if there is an up or down vote on his getting on. Democrats have said, though, they wish to rely upon the only part of the nomination rule set not broken by Harry Reid in 2013 via the Reid rule. The Reid rule is that a simple majority of the Senate can change the rules of the Senate in the course of the Senate proceedings. That was new. It was radical. It was innovation introduced by Harry Reid. But he did not extend it to Supreme Court nominees. So the second application of the Reid rule would extend it to Supreme Court nominees. Matt Spaulding, first, some math. They did not ask, because reporters never ask the obvious question, uh, either Manchin or Heidkamp if they would support the Reid rules application. So we don't know if we have two Democrats who are willing to end the filibuster. What do you think ought to happen? What do you think is going to happen with regards to this? Well, let's back up from and ask the, the, the general question, looking at it from a Hillsdale broader perspective. What's going on here, and I'm going to tie back here to our discussion about the health care legislation as well, is that in both cases, rules, which are rules of the body, which themselves are not laws and are not constitution, they're not in the Constitution. Although the uh, authority to make them shaping. is committed. The authority to make them is committed to the House body and the Senate body. Uh, the, the House and the body, and each can make their own rules, right? Uh, right. But they themselves are not uh, laid out in the Constitution. Correct. But these rules, uh, which can change, uh, and there's, I, I've, we can talk about how I think this is uh, problematic on many counts, um, uh, but, but those rules are preventing Congress – in the case of the health care legislation, because they were they were trying to go through reconciliation to, to get around that. And in this case, because the Senate is dealing with the filibuster on a Supreme Court justice, um, those rules are preventing Congress as a body, in this case the Senate, from doing its constitutional obligations. So I think there's a broader, serious question here, especially at this time of, of intense debate about the direction of our country, when an over, this majority of the American people have wanted to turn and go in a different direction, and yet the, we're allowing rules, which are two steps down from the Constitution itself, to prevent this from going forward. So overall, I think uh, we've come to a, a, a crossroads where we need to discuss more broadly the role of the filibuster, which has not been around forever, um, in general, not just on Supreme Court nominees, um, and think about the role that plays in our politics right now. If, if, if this whole movement and this moment to, to change the country's direction falls because of a rule of this, uh, 
Uh, I, th- I think we've got a serious rethinking to do now. In and, and there are many other case, things that are prohibited by the rules, not not just the Supreme Court nomination to 60 votes, but uh, budgets that need to be ordered. The, the American people voted for a huge change. They would like to see the sequester removed. They would like to see massive cuts in spending on things like NPR and the National Endowment for the Arts and and uh, stupid things that uh, that are hidden away in budgets everywhere else. I don't think NPR is stupid or NEA is stupid, but they don't need federal funding. They want things to change, but they are frustrated by right. the supermajority rule. They, they want to break through. Let me give you two other <laughs> another example. Uh, when I mentioned earlier the, the the overwhelming weakness of Congress as a body. Uh, I think this makes that even more patently obvious. Think about the, the inability of Congress as a body to budget. They can't do the, the – it's, it's one of its chief uh, legislative duties, which is to maintain uh, and keep an eye on, on the purse, which is one of their primary constitutional obligations. Uh, and they end up every year ending up ending with these massive omnibus pieces of legislation, which are all or nothing and require an up or down binary vote. Uh, which sometimes can lead to shutdowns of the government. That's a terrible situation and not a way to legislate. And uh, every time they go there, whether it's the omnibus or, or they're forced to go through reconciliation, or in this case, they're running up against a rule in the Senate called the filibuster, um, that just points to the weakness of this body to do its general obligations of legislating through normal order to putting things together. Um, one of the reasons why I think the health care faltered is that it was designed from the get-go to go through reconciliation, and you're trying to read like the tea leaves, uh, you know, what's the parliamentarian going to say about reconciliation rules? I mean, you're playing on weak, weak ground uh, once you go there. So let's go back to um, <clears throat> Justice Gorsuch. Anyway, there is, Gorsuch, yes. uh, if the Republicans are blocked by a filibuster, and right now, uh, for the benefit of the audience, Chuck Schumer is trying to make a calculation as to whether or not Harry, uh, Mitch McConnell has the votes to invoke the Reid rule. If he does, I don't think he will filibuster. If they have any doubt at all, I think he will. And and that, that goes to whether or not there are enough Republican senators, or any, in fact, who value the institution of the Senate so much that they will kill Gorsuch in order to save the Senate. I personally believe that's the end of the Republican majority for the foreseeable future, I believe it is a devastating loss in 2018. I don't know if I can campaign for, raise money for. If they don't put Gorsuch on the court, I'm, I'm, I may be done. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's right. If, if, if they, because of that rule and their inability to change it, uh, kill the Gorsuch nomination, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, in the same way, if they do nothing on, on health care in the House and they let Obamacare stand, uh, I think actually their majority is in jeopardy there as, as well. It's just that in this case, whereas in the House there are complications. It's complicated legislation. No one knows what reconciliation means. Uh, it's inside base. Here it's much clearer. It's it's this particular nomination, and we know uh, what's what's going on. I, I think they've got to make got to make that change. One advantage they have is that here. Uh, they can make a distinction between, well, we're going to say it doesn't apply for Supreme Court nominees. It's an extension of the Reed rule. There's a narrower way to read this, which I think allows them to proceed. The other thing I would put on the table here is, you know, talking to smart Senate people, 
now, I guess, violating my own point about making a, a, a point about the intricacies of the rules, there might be other options, uh, including enforcing a two-speech rule, uh, which is, you know, goes along with the filibuster rule, uh, that in the case of a Supreme Court nominee might allow them to get there without actually changing uh, the filibuster. And I don't care if they do that. I really don't care how they get them, but the Constitution is in the balance. And right. so I, I come back to the, this is the most important thing that we do as a free people is preserve our basic law, isn't it, Matt? Uh, absolutely. And I think it's all at stake. And I think that uh, we need um, uh, leadership uh, who, who and we need to buck them up and we need to make them see where we where they need to go and figure out how to get there. And if, if we don't do that now, uh, given this massive uh, opportunity uh, in this nomination, but in general, I think uh, I would be extremely worried about where this goes, because now you face the possibility of losing your, your uh, control of Congress, one house, both houses. Uh, and, you know, what, where, where does this go then? I mean, you know, President Trump has already talked about the necessity of, of, of going elsewhere to try to get some things done. You know, if you don't lose, if you don't lose sight of your principles, you can always rebuild. But if you you can you can suffer midterm losses and presidential losses. But if you lose sight of the goal, I think uh, in the city of man, Strauss said this, the West will never be in crisis if it never loses uh, sight of what it's about. And right. it might go down, but it won't be in a crisis. The Republican Party will be in a crisis if they don't confirm Gorsuch, because they will have lost sight Absolutely. of why they exist. Absolutely. Uh, and, and they don't talk that way. That's another thing that, 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 that always has bothered me. Uh, they hold their cards very close, but they don't make public arguments. You've got to make a public argument about these things. It's got to be crystal clear, uh, and you've got to be strong on those principles. Being strong on principles, which is what in turn allows you to be uh, more practically flexible. How do we actually do this? Well, we'll figure that out. That's the essence of prudence. That's why prudence is about good deliberation and why, in the end, it's a virtue. But you've got to be crystal clear about what you're going, where you're going, and what your principle is in order to be prudent. Um, and I fear we're kind of down in the weeds trying to figure these things out very narrowly uh, because we might be reluctant about stating our principles up front. In the, in the house, uh, you're they, right. They've stated a principle. We got to we got to repeal Obamacare. Okay, how are we going to do that? And why does this get us there? You got to be very clear about that. Then it's a lot easier to make a case about well, how this is a prudential decision, and we got to have some flexibility here. But here's where we're going, and they didn't do a good job on that. I don't think. And, and the number one principle now, and I think we can't state it enough. And I'm wondering what you're doing next week around this. We'll come back after break and ask that. The number one principle right now is the Constitution is in the balance because we have ended up somehow with the with the Supreme Court adjudicating everything. Uh, They have an they have a case in front of them on April the 19th called Trinity Lutheran on whether or not a little Blaine Amendment, all of which I believe are unconstitutional because they were anti-Catholic in their motivation. A little Blaine Amendment in Missouri prevents a, a Missouri Lutheran preschool from receiving a grant to resurface their children's playground with recycled tires. They ranked the grants. There were more than 50 grant applicants. They were ranked number 14, I believe. They gave away 30 of them. And then the administrator simply said, you can't have one because you're Lutheran. Now, that flies in the face of the free exercise clause. It's, it's just a deeply well, discriminatory. And also just common sense. That's, that's ridiculous. Yes. And so Gorsuch will probably cast the deciding vote on that. I'm not sure we're, 
uh, uh, Justice Kennedy will be. I think he's a common sense man and will be appalled by this. So I think it will be 4-4. The Eighth Circuit upheld the denial. So if we don't get him up there, the most important free exercise case in 25 well, years goes and comes without him being there. We have to act. And, and and how many other things as we go down the pike? Look, this is a divided court. The court is all over the place. Uh, this is a fight for the for the Constitution and in the future of this republic as it goes forward. And I, our guys got to understand that, and they got to get him on the court. I will be right back with Matthew Spaulding. One more segment in this week's show. It is the Hillsdale Dialogue. All things Hillsdale are available at hillsdale.edu and all of my dialogues are available at hugh4hillsdale.com one more segment on today's Hugh Hewitt Show welcome back America to Hugh Hewitt with Matthew Spaulding Dr. Spaulding is the director of the Kirby Center of the Hillsdale College's Lantern in Washington D.C. Hillsdale can be found at hillsdale.edu online courses deluxe. All of my Hillsdale dialogues always making up the last radio hour of the week. Every Friday I send you off uplifted and smarter than I hope you began the hour with. Uh, available at hughforhillsdale.com. How are you doing that this week, Matt? Are you organizing special programming? Having any senators over? You You will often do extraordinary things at the Kirby Center, but I don't know if you were able to plan on the timing of this because it's been up in the air. You mean the 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 the, the Gorsuch the, the filibuster, yeah, the Gorsuch the, the filibuster. It just continuing to talk to people and putting stuff out there and and going over the hill and and staying in touch with people. I mean, I think the uh, gosh, this is this is an, an, an example where the politics of the moment have taken on a life of their own, uh, and so we you know we make our arguments and constantly point these guys to the the higher objectives here. I what I worry most about is they. They miss the forest for the trees, um, uh, you know, and, and that's why kind of getting bogged down in these narrow rules conversations uh, are, are, are 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 problematic. Um, and I and I fear too many of them. Well, I, I think there might be a way out of this, but I mean, look, in in general, what we need is more politics rather than less. Uh, this has got to be pushed and made a bigger public debate, and pressure's got to be brought to bear. Uh, so that people understand what exactly is 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 the discussion here, uh, what's going on, what are the alternatives, and what's standing in the way. And have you ever hosted a discussion about whether or not the 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 Senate's rules are archaic? And I, I you know I, I've talked to the leader; he's deeply devoted to him. I read his book, The Long yep. Game. Yep. He believes in protecting the rights of the minority, uh, but I believe that the structure of the Constitution itself protects the rights of the minority, as does the Bill of Rights, and that this is super protected. And in an era of accelerating crisis, we cannot afford this. I, I just I've begun to really doubt and I've been arguing publicly for a long. I've been against the filibuster for 15 years, so I don't mind it going. Right. I wanted us to nuke it under the Frist rule and the, right. the Reed rule. They're embarrassed by it. It's interesting, Matt Spaulding. Democrats are embarrassed by what uh, Harry Reid did now. They, they're not consistent in their arguments, so they have to hide what happened. Isn't that interesting? Well, it, it is, because for them, it's, it's, it's merely politics. Uh, but they opened the door for having, among other things, very good uh, nominations to, in a presidential administration. Uh, but they really don't have an argument. But I mean, this also reveals now that we're in this situation. You're absolutely right. Uh, we're we're 
in the midst of a, of a long-term crisis here about how to turn this government around. Uh, and it's now patently obvious that there is a rule, which is two steps down from the Constitution, standing in the way. And but, but I think we need to figure out how to bring more pressure to bear on the Senate so that they're held responsible for that. And a nomination of this magnitude in this particular uh, issue will be before them squarely, which will force them to think this uh, this through. And I, I think that rule has got to give way. It just makes it makes no sense. At a time like this, the, the Senate is incapable of proceeding because of uh, you know that rule. Um, as as we go into uh, the, you know the, these decisions, where the court is right now, and more broadly beyond that, I, I go back to my general point. Uh, the filibuster is essentially preventing the House and Congress as a whole from proceeding on important legislative matters as well. Yeah, things that we, we need to get done because we're broke and we're not defended and we have terrible regulatory overreach and the administrate needs reforming. Uh, so, America, bottom line, call your senators, 202-225-3121. Call up uh, Susan Collins, call up Lisa Murkowski. I think they're on the right th- side of this. Arizona, you're waking up to me right now. Call John McCain. Urge him to to break the filibuster. Uh, I, I don't know who's weak on this. I don't really know who's wobbly. Um, well, I think a lot of them were probably, uh, for the Supreme Court nomination, probably many less so. Uh, but I think they've got to know the, the, the magnitude of this moment and what it means for this nomination, the Supreme Court, but also looking forward, what it means for the ability to turn the direction of this country and go after the, 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 the things that plague us, which is causing our crisis, which is this, this overwhelming state, which is destroying our self-government. Uh, that's a threat to the Constitution. Uh, people need to make sure their senators understand the magnitude of that so they don't have an easy pass here. Very well said. Thank you, Matt Spaulding, for filling in for Dr. Larry Arn. As always, wonderful to talk to you. Have a great weekend in Washington with the Cherry Blossoms. I want to thank for an amazing week Sean Spicer and Reince Priebus and Scott Pruitt. Very often, very rare for a radio show to get that kind of a lineup of guests as well as our regular wonderful guests like Robert Costa of the Washington Post and Matt Spaulding and uh, Eliana Johnson and people like that who are just extraordinarily great. Chuck Todd, John Dickerson. We just had a great week this week. Uh, great. And it's good to be in Sacramento, though troubling to hear that the, uh, the principal of the Jesuit High School doesn't want Archbishop Chaput to come to Sacramento. That was I got that last night, and uh, you know, in Sacramento, you hear this stuff. I don't know if it's true. I'm going to check it out. I'm going to find out. I'll tell you more about that. But uh, the intolerance of this society is deeply, deeply disturbing. And all we can do is do as much as you can for as many as you can for as long as you can to promote sweet reason, truth, grace, the fragrance of the gospel, all sorts of good things, and fight the good fight. We'll continue to do that on Monday, America. Don't miss the next. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Dwayne. Thank you, Ben and Jake. You Hewitt Show.